Have you seen a symbolic archetype in a movie, a book, a media report, or anywhere in the world around you? Well, I'm here to tell you that I saw one the other day. I did not expect to see it. It was in a Halloween decoration, and it prompted me to talk about the symbolism in everyday society. Now, before we get going, welcome to the Cub Cooker Supernatural Podcast. If you've never joined before, uh, I invite you to open your mind, open your heart, and join this incredible community that we have, which is a multi-faith, multi-race, multi-orientation community. We don't care where you do or don't go to church. We don't care who you're married to, and we don't care the color of your skin as long as you're here in love and light and seeking uh, a higher understanding and acceptance of what the authentic reality is. And so we do that through exploring faith, spirituality, and the paranormal. And that makes up the supernatural world we live in. My name is Jacob Cooker, but my friends call me Cub and you can call me Cub too. So we're going to dive in today as we have people joining and talk about symbolism. I've got some uh, kind of a cool temple here, this AI artwork that I made. Um, and let me turn the fan off real quick. That will help with the flicker effect that was flickering on my face with the green screen. I'm going to get a real green screen to put behind me so we won't be blinking in and out. So that's already on the list. So... Um, but I'm looking at a list of occult symbols today. Now, occult, when you think of occult, what do you uh, think? So, you know, a lot of people think occult is like this evil thing. And, and that's really not what the meaning is. The meaning is, in the broadest sense, it's a category of esoteric supernatural beliefs and practices that generally fall outside the scope of religion and science encompasses encompassing phenomena involving otherworldly agencies such as magic, sorcery, mysticism, and varied spells. So depending on what your definition of evil is, um, it may or may not fall within that. But some people's definition of evil is uh, the patterns on my shirt. So, you know, it's it depends on what your definition is. But I do find it interesting the term occult sciences was used in the 16th century Europe, to refer to astrology, alchemy, and natural magic, uh, which is, uh, it deals with natural forces directly as opposed to ceremonial magic. So natural magic would be like um, things such as the energy of stones or crystals or water flowing, you know, things that we know give off energy anyway. Um, and, it, you know, as our understandings evolve, uh, our understanding of symbolism and things of that nature will evolve as well. So, uh, call it El Kami, uh, my world. What's up, Kevin Campbell? How are you doing? El Kami. I've never heard of that before, uh, but I will look that up real quick. You guys know way more than I do. I don't know why y'all aren't doing the, the podcast here. Um, let's see, meaning... So all I'm getting is alchemy, um, but alchemy being uh, the medieval forerunner of chemistry based on the supposed transformation of matter 
uh, a lot of times they were trying to turn things into gold. Um, and so, uh, and I've got a friend who's very, very much into that and understands way more of that. Um, hopefully, oh, okay. Yeah. Kevin says alchemy. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I read alchemy. So I was like, what is alchemy? Uh, cause we talk about El Elyon a lot here. So I thought, well, maybe there's something out there I didn't know about, but so I'm looking at these symbols, these occult symbols, and I'm going to read these off completely unbiased here. Like this is just purely for information reasons. So we have the Ankh, A-N-K-H, which is basically a cross, but the top of it has a big circle on it. And it's an ancient Egyptian symbol for eternal life. Um, and it's now associated with a lot of different things, but originally it was that idea of eternal life. Um, and some people even thought that it had a meaning of resonance uh, for the body. Um, and then the arrow, if you've ever seen just the arrow, the tail of an arrow, we see arrows all the time now. We put them in our text lines and all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's An arrow is used to gain knowledge through divination. Now, if you remember to our study of Book of Enoch, uh, we've looked into Book of Enoch and there's a lot of warnings against divination and that was one of the things that the watchers taught but we don't honestly know what particular form of divination you know do we just kind of lump that all into one was there something particular we obviously don't have all of the information so it's kind of hard to understand especially with all of the different sciences out there and pseudosciences and different practices and stuff and today I'm going to give you kind of a hidden way to figure out what um, what is fruitful, if if that if that makes sense as far as when it comes to all these symbols and and things like that. So and kind of how I look at things, uh, which may help um, may help uncover some of this for you guys. So um, let's see. So more symbols. Uh, there's the Baphomet. Of course, you're, you're very familiar with that. The goat head uh, with the, you know, kind of that archetypal devil that we all think of with the goat head and the horns and the flame on top of the head and the wings and the moon and his feet, that type of thing. That symbol is used uh, by the Knights Templar. It's used by um, other different cult type things. Um, and then there is, uh, the cross of St. Peter is the upside down cross, which oddly enough was originally used as a Christian symbol and then turned into an anti-Christian symbol. Um, so, you know, that upside down cross, I get a, people calling me out all the time because I've got a peace symbol. I love the peace symbol, the idea of peace. Um, and I like the symbol. I think it's cool looking. And uh, a lot of people say, oh, that's an upside down cross. Well, the original upside down cross wasn't even, uh, that's actually a lot of crosses were upside down. That's actually how they would have used them. Um, and so, uh, not something I like to imagine, but that's just, uh, what about the fish symbol? Great, great question on the fish symbol. Let me scroll down the page here. I think I saw it on here. Um, because that one is pretty interesting. Let me look that up. Um, okay. Uh, an ichthys, that's what it's called. I couldn't remember. Um, 
So the ichthys, I-C-H-T-H-Y-S, ichthys is from the Greek, ichthys uh, in the first century. It's a symbol consisting of two intersecting arcs and the ends on the right side uh, extending past the meeting point to resemble the profile of a fish. It has been speculated that the symbol was adopted by early Christians as a secret symbol uh, to determine uh, if another was indeed a Christian. It is known colloquially colloquially as the sign of the fish or the Jesus fish, which is always what I've called it. So, uh, so yeah, the Jesus fish. The first appearances of the ichthys in Christian art and literature dates to the second century. Um, so the symbolic meaning um, is, let's see, there's a lot of information on this. Um, it's used in the gospels, feeding of the 5,000 parable, drawing the net, lots of fish symbolism, obviously in the gospels. Um, in the deuterocanonical book of Tobit. So, uh, Tobit, um, is basically a book, uh, that's, part of the Orthodox church in some areas still, but would be outside the canon and some, uh, well, probably here in the West a lot. So, um, and that depicted a fish. Let's see. Um, future spouse of Sarah captures a fish while it tries to swallow his feet, washing in the river Tigris instructed to offer it in order to be saved from the demon. Osmodeus, prince of the demons in hell, is a Judeo-Islamic lore of the king of both demons. Um, Wow. Yeah, see the rabbit hole deepens. So when you start dealing with symbolism, that's that's really, I mean, this is a great way to make my point today. My point is, don't go there. No, that's not really my point. But my point is, is it symbolism goes so deep and if you think you know what it means you probably don't know what it means but i do know that there are certain symbols that make me uncomfortable one of which is the pale man from pan's labyrinth if you haven't seen the pale man or the evildoer from pan's labyrinth where he lures the kids there and literally eats them he's got the eye in the middle of his hand uh, and then he holds his hands up to his face. Really creepy. You can go look it up. If you haven't seen Pan's Labyrinth, it's it's a, a, a mind trip. It's pretty crazy. Um, but the reason I bring that up is that hand is like a haunting-looking hand. It's, it's pretty terrifying. Uh, and then if you look up that connection of that hand with that eye to the god Saturn and that whole thing, and then Saturnalia actually follows... Uh, the the pagan date of where our christmas falls and so you kind of realize that christmas really isn't christmas and it again the rabbit hole can lead you like way like it goes down the rabbit hole um so it's just crazy to me that all of the symbolism obviously ties together it's everywhere and like i said if you think you know what it means you probably don't know what it means but the biggest way i can tell you know if i don't like a symbol or want to stay away from it is does it make you feel uncomfortable? And obviously, uh, the hand with the eye in the middle makes me feel uncomfortable. And I have to ask myself, does it make me feel uncomfortable because I am spiritually 
picking up something from it that makes me uncomfortable or am I uncomfortable because I've been programmed to believe something is evil. I was programmed to believe the onk was evil from a young age, but really when you understand what it is, it, it makes a lot more sense and it's not nearly as, as evil sounding. Um, and, and this is with all respect to all different faiths we have here. I'm just telling you my experience as a kid growing up, I was told to stay away from stuff like that. If you ever see symbols like that, stay away from them. Uh, so, you know, I find it really interesting, uh, already the comments here, but, uh, Annie's got a good comment here. Black eyed kids, uh, as creepy as old Reeves. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And like I said, Pan's labyrinth is full of symbolism, full of symbolism. And so I named today's episode symbolic archetypes. And I named it that because that is literally a phrase that means a symbolic archetype, an object location or image in a story that contains more than one functional meaning. It has both physical meaning in the story world and a thematic meaning for the reader to interpret. That's where the idea of esoteric, which I'm a big esoteric guy. I believe everything Christ said was esoteric meaning you know, it had meaning in their world there with what their uh, religious law was, but it also had real esoteric meaning for like a universal understanding of the spiritual concept that had nothing to do with the religious tone of it, but a, a true spiritual understanding of it. So that's where I get really, uh, really deep into this stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do remember the ichthys had a whole lot more meaning that I can find right now. I'm looking at Wikipedia, uh, just looking at early church symbolism, book of Tobit, the secret symbol, um, that they would have used. But I do remember there was something and I cannot remember where I saw it and I'm glad you brought it up. So if you remember what I'm talking about, please drop a comment, but where it did have like a really interesting route and it wasn't quite what we, you know, the, the happy go lucky symbol that we understand it to be. So, uh, but yes, yeah, symbolic archetypes, like all of these things in stories, movies, media, billboards. Uh, I mean, it's everywhere. It's part of the matrix. And I'm not saying that people consciously go, hey, I'm going to put this symbol in here. A lot of people just do it because, oh, it's design. It's pretty. Um, and so we have to understand that it's not always like the man putting a symbol in there because of all these secret societies or anything. And while I do know that there are those out there that practice all of this, in fact, I'm about to read a little from a book I got at a uh, estate sale this weekend. That's pretty, pretty mind blowing, but, um, it's definitely something to understand that it's like, I try to move forward, especially when we look at symbolism without a conspiratorial mindset, without a, they're out to get you mindset. And understand that just the matrix is, period. The matrix is, is built to confine you and try to subdue your spirit. That's just what it is. So uh, with that said, uh, evil is in the eye of the beholder, Michael. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and then uh, Begilk says, let's see, what did you say? Uh, the book of Solomon made me uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jonathan said, what religion are you? So I was raised Methodist. Um, and then I was a part of like a evangelical, um, tradition, if you will, when I was in my homeschool groups. Um, and 
So for me, I consider myself to be a follower of the universal Christ. I can look at like all these different faith traditions um, and all these different experiences of reality. Again, faith, spirituality, paranormal that we talk about every day. Put them together and try to find that thread of truth. Understand who the universal Christ is um, and what that entity, that logos of God, that divine computation or expression of God really is in our lives today. And so just uh, try to decode all of that. And we have some really cool conversations here on that. Uh, a lot of people call me a Christian hippie or a new age Christian or whatever. I don't know. You know, uh, I'm not big on labels because I'd normally tend to break out of the mold of that label real quick as soon as somebody gives it to me. So anyway, Kevin says peace and love. Yeah, that's what I am. I'm a peace and love follower. Absolutely. Uh, and not just follower, but manifester. That's what I try to do. So, so speaking of symbolism, Jesus did a lot of it. Um, and so we talk a lot about, I've, I've already done a podcast on sorcery versus magic and it was a big hot button issue for a lot of people. So I don't really want to touch on that again, but sorcery is where you take energy from the physical matrix and you force it into what you want using symbols, sacrifices, uh, incantations, processes, that type of thing. Uh, and that, that can cover a blanket of things. I do not practice sorcery. I practice what would be considered natural magic, what would be considered realizing the kingdom of God is within me. And by the way, if I need energy, my biological body is already drawing energy from what I ate today. It's already drawing energy out of my cells, out of the water within me. Um, but I also have access spiritually direct connection, direct line to the spiritual matrix in which I can funnel energy through my body and create an electromagnetic vortex around me. And if you've ever studied chakras or that type of uh, energy process where you're not, you don't have to go do these incantations and draw symbols and you don't there's it's not all this stuff it's just that recognition that you are a spiritual antenna you practice that by breathing you practice that by prayer meditation some people even fast we see that christ did a lot of fasting uh, and you focus that energy and that intention within yourself and it builds and it draws energy that is literally seemingly from nowhere to you um and that's where, like I said, with sorcery, they're drawing energy from other life forces or other realms uh, by physical manifesting. And what I teach and what I believe in is spiritual manifesting. We create it in the spiritual realm and we can eventually see it here and experience it within ourselves as uh, physical uh, proof in our own bodies just by feeling that energy. I can meditate and feel the cells in my body light up. I can feel... Uh, that energy rising within me. Um, and it's, it's pretty, pretty powerful. So, uh, which I will be leading some sessions of that as we get into our new group that we've started. But, um, but for now I'm, I'm kind of learning what all that is. So the biggest lie of the Bible is the back cover. The creator never stopped interacting with creation. Boom. Fantastic. Michael. Great, great comment. Love that. Love that. Absolutely. Uh, I have no altar, but command all world spirits of Gaia and I'm a healer. Awesome. Kevin. Awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, we see, uh, I had truth seeker on here a while back and he talked about how Paul 
you know, wielded spirits and stuff. And I don't, I don't get all of that stuff guys. And I don't really practice that, but I do practice things like what Annie says, you know, bare feet in the grass. I practice being in the sunshine. I practice meditating and projecting gratitude, not just being thankful, not like, Oh, thank you, God. I'm thankful for everything. No, like that energy, like you, you know, I can just feel, I can push that energy right now and it comes from your core and it goes up and it projects out. If you've ever seen a care bear projecting that energy out from that symbol on their chest or on their, their abdomen, that's how this energy works. And so, and I can do, and I can doing that right now. I can feel just that, that gratitude, that thankfulness, that is the most powerful manifesting energy in the world. And I believe that's what Christ taught. Like the kingdom of God was, is within you. If thine eye be single, you have not because you ask not. You know, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you'd tell that mountain to move and it would move. You know, all of those things, you'll do greater things than even I did. I am one with the Father and he is one with me. All of these things that we just, all it takes, we've got all these traditions of the world that are trying to draw power and draw symbols and processes and doctrine and dogma and everything. And I respect that. But it's that understanding and it's trying to compartmentalize and put it in a box rather than internalize it, experience it, and practice it as a spiritual manifestation rather than a religious or a doctrine or a dogma. Um, and we've got, I've got books, tons of books around me that are full of people trying to understand where this power comes from and trying to figure out ways, surefire ways to get that power every time. And of course, we see that in the Old Testament with sacrifices to Yahweh and other other gods. And uh, you know my uh, current theory on Yahweh. I may be wrong about that, but I see a lot of lot of evidence there um, that he is not the Father that Christ was talking about. That Christ literally came to basically put a kibosh on that and say, "Hey, I'm I'm going to tell you who the true Father is." I'm going to tell you about this spirit. I'm going to tell you about this spirit that's a part of you, by the way. I'm going to tell you about this kingdom within you. I'm going to teach you to wield this on your own and show you that you don't need all of these processes to access something much greater than what all your ancestors were accessing because they're accessing extraterrestrial knowledge and power uh, from the gods or the fallen angels. And I'm going to teach you how to become even greater than them because Christ is in you. I am in you. You are in me and you can wield this power. So I hope that makes sense. Uh, emotion equals energy plus motion. Very good. Absolutely. We feel at all times letting that energy flow. Yes, yes, yes. And I will tell you when you start practicing this energy, uh, especially that gratitude energy, that frequency of love feeling into that it's uncomfortable and it can wear you out. And, um, I've had to take a lot of naps because of it. Um, and it goes against everything you think, you know, everything like that you've learned, um, and you know, that I've learned in all my Bible course studies I've learned in, um, my faith growing up, you know, it goes against like all of those things on, you know, humanity, having to be saved because we're so awful and horrible and full of sin. And you start to just feel God within you and realize like, Whoa, I'm connected to like infinity. Like, wow, this is, this is crazy. And I read that Alan Watts quote this morning, uh, which is beautiful. If you didn't get to hear that, go check out this morning's episode. 
um, on time and is time an illusion. That was a good episode. So, uh, shiny one moving in high vibe frequency. Uh, I am who I will become. Yes, Kevin. Absolutely. Absolutely. The shiny ones. We talked about the shiny ones, um, that Enoch would have dealt with. Uh, we've talked about this with extraterrestrials, you know, the, these objects that are vibrational frequencies generating light and you're one too. Like, you know, we, <laughs> we, we forget what an incredible technology we have within us not just our biology, but our spirituality, our actual spirit within us, um, is, is incredible, is incredible. And it has so much power that we just, yes, light workers substance says, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there's some things we aren't supposed to understand. God's truth will prevail. Absolutely. Marco. Absolutely. So here, here we get to Jesus drawing symbols in the sand and you probably remember this. This is where a lot of people argue about, you know, Jesus was doing sorcery here or doing magic or he was just being an artist or he was writing a secret message. There's like all these different theories on it. You make up what you think about it. I can't tell you what to think about it, but I know for me, I think he knew a lot more and he, he studied, I believe, a lot of Eastern philosophy, a lot of Egyptian magic, a lot of... um of the Hebrew scriptures, obviously, obviously he knew them backwards and forth, but, uh, he also was practicing and preaching things that were very shocking and very new to this religious society. Um, and again, respect to all religions here, but understanding that Christ is not a religious figure. Now, Jesus has been branded as one, but the Christ, the one that I teach and follow and do my best every day to embody is not a religious figure. He's a spiritual entity that is much different, much different than what we've made him in all of our systems of doctrine. And so he stoops down and he's writing in the sand. He said, Jesus uh, says, Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. But when they continued asking him, he looked up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. They, when they heard it, being convinced of this uh, by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning from the oldest, even to the last. So basically they just left. They're like, um, okay, well, never mind. Um, because he said, he who is without sin among you, go ahead and throw throw the first stone. Like if you haven't sinned. And I'm sure at that point they're convicted not only in their heart, but they're like, well, wait a minute. I don't want to get, I don't want to be on the receiving end of this. So that was like a really good way. And then, you know, there's the other quote that Christ talks about, like, you know, as you forgive, your father will forgive you. So this is like a direct karmic representation here. If you think about Eastern philosophy and karma, that's also kind of what this whole thing is of, you know, go ahead and throw the stone, but remember one's going to get thrown back. Like it's kind of that uh, reciprocity type thing. So, uh, and so they all left and then Jesus is alone with this woman. Um, and he stands up and he says, woman, where are your accusers? Did no one condemn you? She said, no, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you go your way. From now on, sin no more. Um, and I love this part. Um, and then it gets down here to uh, verse 12. This is in John 8, by the way. 
John 8, and I read from verse 3 through 12 here. Again, therefore Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So think about this verse, guys. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Think about Yahweh in the Old Testament. He comes in cloud and smoke, and he even says that I give blessings from the darkness. Uh, and that, that was like a quote from when he was talking to Moses. And I've got a whole spreadsheet of this data going. So I'm, I'm sorry to keep beating on this drum, but it's really important to understand because a lot of our misconceptions about this modern faith tradition we call Christianity are skewed because we're trying to justify this bloodthirsty God of the Old Testament rather than looking at Christ as a, a true ascended master who realized he was God and who fully embodied God and had the full logos of God, chose to go to the cross for people and walk in the fullness of that. And he says he's the light of the world and who follows him will not walk in darkness. Because remember, Moses was walking in darkness every time he talks with Yahweh and it said that he spoke with Yahweh as a man speaks with another man. Yet Christ says no one has seen the Father except for the Son. So who's lying here, guys? Like that that's what I have to honestly ask. And I'm sure and I know we have some preachers that watch this, so you know, if you have a good answer that's not doctrine, that that is logical, spiritual and actually brings understanding to this other than Christ came to show a new father, then I would love to hear it. But so far, I haven't heard one. And even right here, it says Isaiah 61. This is what he's referencing when he says, I'm the light of the world. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and Yahweh's glory has risen on you. I don't think Christ is tying himself to Yahweh here. I think he's refuting what he said and saying, I'm the light. I come from the Father, not this thing that you guys have been worshiping in the past. Well, how how come 2,000 years nobody's figured this out? Well, because a lot of people have been had to go underground and gotten extinguished, especially very early on in the church. Look at the history of the canonization of the modern Bible, and you're going to start to really question uh, who's told you what. You go, well, does God not preserve his word? Yeah, he does, but the word is not the literal text and scripture. There's thousands of scriptures out there. The word is that thread of truth that gives life, bears fruit on the vine and manifests love, light and oneness. All of the fruits of God. That's what the word of God is. It's the divine expression or the computation of God. Yes, it can be a spoken word, but we have to remember that every word we have in these Bibles, as much as I love them, those words actually argue with each other quite a bit, even within the same verse from translation to translation. So that's really, really important to remember. Michael says uh, they were trying possibly inadvertently to remove empathy and temperance from the law of God. Yeah, definitely, definitely they were. And I think it's really clear that they were uh, because Christ even said, you know, you have the keys to the kingdom, yet you let no one enter. Basically, the the leaders of the religious law, they were holding... Uh, the sacrifices that, you know, you had to, to have your sins forgiven. They were charging a lot of money for them. They had only certain people could enter the temple. They had like, you know, you had to go through them and they were keeping everybody out. And he even says, but you didn't even go through the door. Um, and so, you know, I think that's very valid what you said, Michael. Absolutely. Um, 
let's see uh the word of god is the scriptures uh dilo uh christ loving uh that is not necessarily true because there's a lot of scriptures that could certainly be um not necessarily the word of god so scriptures are written by men as an interpretation of understanding uh, a religious or a spiritual or a paranormal experience uh, and so you look at there's tons of different scriptures about experiences with different gods um, and if you believe in ancient astronaut theory then a lot of those you know you kind of think okay well they were probably experiencing visitors from another planet not necessarily the father in spirit as christ says no one's seen the father so yet yeah, you have all of these experiences with people who say they've seen the father how can that be the father so those are just questions to ask yourself Dilo. Um, how does all of that work and how does that make sense because it has to make sense that's the thing like god would not send salvation upon the world if it doesn't make sense because then nobody would have it now what he did though is he he spoke it in parables and you had people that thought they knew what was up and they were following a system and he came and basically broke that system apart, which is why he ended up on a cross. That's my, that's my interpretation. That's how I understand it every day. So, and he says, but I have faith and pure love. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's see somebody said i'm 37 i don't have a background in the bible i picked it up six months ago oh that was annie yeah absolutely annie uh and you know i've studied it my whole life but i'm certainly not a scholar but i'm smart enough to read it and go hey this doesn't make sense together um, and then understand the culture then and that christ was really a radical new uh, he was a new age of religion of faith uh, and I'm going to get blasted just for saying that I'm sure by somebody in the comments, but, uh, but he really was like, he was, it was so radical. People were like, what is he saying? He speaks with authority. This is new. This is not what we're used to. Who is this father he's talking about? I don't even think that they associated that he was talking about the God of Moses necessarily. I mean, there's, I haven't read a lot that corroborates that idea. But again, I think the symbolism of who he was was so much more powerful because he understood that he was God. And he brought that upon the world and he brought that understanding to us, by the way. And and if we're going to fully understand that, what does he say we have to do? Go home, sell everything, come and follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. And there's a great, great video by a rabbi. And he talks about all these altar calls. And he said, you know, We've got these altar calls and people, and, and it's Rabbi uh, Rude, uh, Rabbi Rude. I don't agree with everything the guy says, but this was beautiful. I love this. Uh, and I really like the guy. I'd love to, to talk with him on the show at some point. But uh, I'm, I know he has differing beliefs on the God of the Old Testament, which is fine. And I'm totally cool with that. But I, I can certainly learn from everything that I hear from different people. And so he talked about, you have these altar calls and it's like, if you have that yearning in your heart and you want to find Jesus and you want to blah, 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 you know, come down and you can be forgiven today and your whole life, blah, 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 blah. You guys have heard it. It's like this emotionally charged thing to get you to come down there, have an emotional reaction. And I'm not saying it's only done to manipulate, but it's just odd that it happens every single Sunday at a lot of these places. So, 
Rabbi Rude talks about the real altar call might ought to be, hey, if you want your life to change forever and you want to find true spiritual life and fruit, you know, go home, leave everything behind that doesn't serve this, even to downgrade your house if you have to, which I've done, even to sell your car if you have to, which I've done. And I have, I still have a car, but I had to, I had like a premium, really, really nice truck and I had to step down. I've got a Jeep now, a nice Jeep, but it, it doesn't, it definitely was more affordable than my truck. And so like, what are you willing to get rid of? Are you willing to go to zero to follow me? And are you willing to pick up your cross? And so that was the next part that he said. He says, go pick up the medieval torture device at the back of the room, bring it down to the altar while everyone looks at you and judges you and scoffs at you, leave everything and follow me. And by the way, serve those people that are throwing rocks at you and judging you and scoffing at you and saying you're blasphemer or you're the devil or whatever, everything that they did to him. Right. And so this, this gospel idea, this idea of alter salvation is much different when you put it in those terms. And that's why I have a lot more confidence on the path that I'm on now because I've gone through all of that. I've gone through hell and back. Um, And I'm not saying other people haven't suffered way more than me. Trust me. I mean, I still live in, you know, a nice, nice house, nice town, you know, but I did have to suffer a lot. I had a lot of times of not knowing where we were going to pay the next bill. And, you know, when we still we're still in, in that mode to some extent because we're doing this thing. Um, so I'm just saying, cause I know there's somebody out there that's going to go, Oh yeah, you got it. Oh, Cooker, you got it fine. You know, blah, blah, blah. And I get that. But I am saying that I didn't find truth. I didn't find this enlightenment. I didn't start to see symbols for what they really were until I gave like on the altar of my heart, gave it all up. No, God didn't have to take everything from me. Thank God. Thank you, Lord. He didn't have to take everything from me, but I definitely had to be like, I willingly had to like lay all this stuff out and say, okay, we'll go to zero, whatever you need. I want to do this thing. This is important. And here we are. And he's building it back up by his grace. He's building it back up. Thank you, father. But I'm telling you guys, this whole thing, especially the popular spirituality going around right now, which is wear a symbol, do this. It's just not that easy. It's just not. Michael says homeless isn't so bad. Yeah. Well, as long as you have a camper or a tent, I guess. I mean, I like camping, so I don't think my wife would like me very much if I, if I put her in that position, but I still do have those responsibilities, but But yeah, I mean, for me, I could probably live in a camper and travel around the country, but my wife, not so much. So I try to have somewhat of a balance, but I was willing to give it all up. And I, and I think for some of us that, that isn't necessarily the house and the car, but it is got a lot of old, old belief systems, old things that don't serve me getting there in my intellect and and really in my spirit, not just my intellect, but my spirit. Or music, absolutely. 
cultures have tried to twist the truth on how simple faith actually is. Yes, Marco. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and yes, Annie, great, great uh, comment there. More your prideful property, not like your house. TV shows uh, are just that easy. Yeah. Okay. So this is a great point, Annie, and I'm not sure exactly how you meant this, but for me, why did I have to give up my house? Because I was really prideful about it. Like I, I got the house. I had the couple of acres. And I mean, I, I consciously tried to be like, thank you, God. I want to use this for good. But there were still days when I was just like, yeah, yeah, this like I'm I'm crushing it. I worked for this. I've earned this. And that was like my first mistake. And so anything that had my pride attached to it had to go. And it was pretty unnerving how much had my pride attached to it and how much my pride has had to go away and just how much I've learned living in the neighborhood I do. And again, I live in a nice neighborhood, but I'm way closer to neighbors than an acre apart. And I've had to talk to people. I've watched neighbors in the neighborhood have arguments with each other. We had a, a really unfortunate event with someone in the neighborhood who lost their life. Um, you know, and again, it's a good neighborhood. Like, it's not like I live in the ghetto or anything. Um, it just, it was like, it was a huge culture shock for me to go from really being isolated and I had worked and built this business and, you know, this is what we bought with it and this is the lifestyle we're living and, you know, we were never hurting for money and then to go like have all of that taken away and, and question where does my pride really lie? Does my pride lie in him or does it lie in all these things that I had built? That was hard. That was hard. And I try to keep really focused now on what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and show up here every day. Uh, Alan says it's not private appreciation for achievement. It's God's blessings. Yes, it was. And what he's doing now is God's is, is his blessings for sure. Um, back then I really did have, there were some really unhealthy thought patterns that I had around what I had built and then the unwillingness to let it go and a constant fear of what if I lose this from the day I moved in feeling like a fraud, feeling like, what if I lose this feeling like, you know, no, I've built this, I deserve, and just that struggle back and forth. And yes, thankful to God, but I can't really describe it, but I know now that I needed to lose it. Like I needed to step away from that. And all of this has to be rebuilt, but it needed to be rebuilt on the rock. Like we, we hear again, the symbolism of the rock symbolism of the sand. There's a home in Florida. They just had the big hurricane and God bless them. So I'm not trying to use them as an example, but there's a guy on TikTok. He's been walking around this home and it was beautiful. It was on the beach. And then there was one of the little estuaries or like the little rivers that run into the ocean. And it was like maybe a hundred yards off to the left of this house. Now that thing is under the house and washing the house out. Like the house probably has already collapsed into the water and is in the ocean. It was a beautiful home, washed the road out and everything. And it just is a constant reminder of, I need to build what I'm building now on the rock, not on the sand, not on just what can we do to throw as much splash out there and build this as big as possible, as quick as possible. It's why I do these podcasts so we can really talk through it because it's hard to be splashy for an hour. 
I can do it in the little 60 second videos, but in an hour, you got to have real substance and you got to have real community and you've got to really be building something strong to keep growing and to manifest this thing the way God desires it that I've been praying for for years. And what he's really doing is giving me what I've asked for in the first place. And I had to give up what I had because it did not serve into this new vision that I knew I'd been praying for, asking for, and even begging for. And he knew what had to happen. He had to, they call it, especially in, in evangelical circles that I've been to, circumcision of the heart. Like trimming all of that fat away, all that stuff that like hinders your heart from really manifesting that good and really doing what you're called to do. And that's where I'm at now. Um, let's see. Annie says, do you want other people to like your house? Yeah. Yeah, I think we all do. First and foremost, I want to find comfort and peace and repose in my house. I think that's what I value more than anything. Um, I know my last house, you know, it, it even the way the architecture was, it looked big from the front. It looked bigger than it really was, if that makes sense. And that was a big a big part of my pride for it. I remember the day we moved in and my wife took a picture of me and the dog standing out front. And I had family members comment like, whoa, your house is huge. And it's like, especially as a guy, you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I worked hard for this, you know. I've made it. Well, that made it didn't last very long. And I'm not bitter about this, by the way. I have, I've, I've mourned it, and I've, I've struggled with it. But I've, I've been accepting it and really trying to embrace where, where I am right now in this whole process, and really just enjoy what I'm doing right now. Uh, if the first man couldn't properly glorify God, uh, when it was just him and God. I've got a whole theory on that. You can go watch my uh, Is Yahweh the Father of Christ. Um, that'll kind of give you my whole philosophy on the garden and glorifying that God. So uh, Annie Logan says naturally. Yes, naturally. Absolutely. Of course, we all want everybody to like our house. But as I'm as I'm manifesting and designing my new house, I want there to be the symbolism in it. You know, even... Uh, to how we build a pathway around it and stuff. I want it to literally be stone and not sand, not concrete that sand is mixed into, like having a sidewalk, but like a stone pathway made out of big flagstones that are, you know, just, again, symbolism for me as we talk about symbolism here. And that's important. Like, symbolism helps us remember. And so whatever you believe symbols to be, you definitely have symbols in your own life. And I was talking about this, this eye in a hand. And there's the eye of protection in the hand. Uh, there, there's that symbol. There's even an emoji on that. This one's like a hand with claws. And it's got like a really creepy red eye in the middle. Um, and this is a Halloween decoration that's out now, guys. I have it pulled up here. It's creepy. I'm going to turn it off. But you can go look it up. I just Googled Halloween inflatable hand with eye. And it's super creepy, super creepy. Um, and why is it creepy? I, I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable. 
But then the more I looked up on uh, Saturn and uh, the that goblin from uh, Pan's Labyrinth and like all of that stuff, it's like that same hand. And it's really just creepy that normal people would put this in their lawn for Halloween. I don't know. Uh, and again, nothing against Halloween. I just, I find it really creepy. Um, and I try to think about what symbols I have in my front yard, whether it's a Christmas decoration or a Halloween decoration. I'm not arguing any of those holidays. You guys celebrate what you want to celebrate, but I think it's really important that we surround ourselves with symbols that remind us of the esoteric truth of who God says we are. So. Uh, Marco says the sisters of the faith from Greek mythology. Now, is that what that, that hand with the long claws and the eye in the middle is, or are you talking more about the hand with the eye? Cause there's a difference. There's a closed hand, there's an open hand, and then there's a clawed hand with an eye in the middle. Again, all like separate symbols. So, uh, yes, I agree. Chick-fil-A, <laughs> Chick-fil-A, what's up? Uh, dressing up is cool, but darkness, that's a different story. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Uh, substance posted the emoji. Yeah, I think that one's beautiful with the the hand. That's supposed to be like protection. Michael says, my story is I quit everything and everyone and grew out of what was left, made room for the new me. Beautiful, beautiful. Absolutely, absolutely. And so for a lot of you guys, it's not the house or the car. It's sometimes it's, you know, uh, you know, things that you used to do, people, whatever that is, you know moving into the new you rather than a new house. So, um, that's important guys. That's important. And so like, again, I'm just telling you my story. I'm not telling you to do anything with this other than recognize those patterns and recognize what God's asking of you when you ask of him, you know, is he asking you to really pick up that cross and follow him, you know, and that's, that's important to me. So, um, if, if it's creepy, uh, just know your spiritual instincts is warning you. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that, Alan. Uh, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, uh, you know, you, you, you feel creeped out, like, and, and listen to that. If if you're creeped out by it, that's why I talked earlier on, there's things that I wasn't necessarily creeped out by that. I just didn't even want to think about or look at because I was told from a young age, don't mess with that. Those are symbols. Those are esoteric, whatever. But then you realize that that stuff's everywhere, guys. It's on the bank. It's on the Capitol buildings. It's on your road signs. It's on um, websites. It's on social media. It's on your emojis are full of it. Like, I mean, it's everywhere. It is everywhere. So rather than fearing it, let's try to understand it a little bit more and make sure we surround ourselves with symbols that bless us, remind us who we are, and continue to build us in love and light and bear fruit in our life. So Annie says, that's how I feel about my UFOs. I have no fear of them. That is awesome, Annie. That is awesome. And I love, if you haven't looked up Annie, Dr. Stephen Greer, his stuff and watch that uh, close encounters of the fifth kind movie. It's, it's absolutely amazing. I'm going to share this before I jump off. I bought this this weekend. It's morals and dogma. Oh, come on. I may have to turn the green screen off. Let me hold it next to my head here. There you go. Morals and Dogma, Ancient and Accepted Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. I don't know if you can see that. So I bought this at a book sale this weekend. 
I really wish this green screen would work with actual green and not the white on the page. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's Morals and Dogma, the Ancient and Accepted Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, the Supreme Council of the 33rd Degree, Mother Council of the World, from the Southern Jurisdiction of the United States, published by its authority, House of the Temple, Washington, D.C., in 1966. And it's got a picture of the Grand Commander from 1859 to 1891. It has the double-headed eagle, which I learned about. I've been watching a documentary on Freemasonry. And by the way, respect. This is not a conspiratorial thing. There's a lot of that stuff going on, guys. You have to understand symbols are everywhere. And people that run the world have symbols. Um, they're just everywhere. And it's really hard to tell who's who and what's what. Only they know, right? Like even this documentary which is very pro Freemasonry is talking about, you know, our symbols are our symbols. They're not yours, you know? Uh, so don't, you know, and, and again, it's a very positive documentary, but it was a good reminder that like all of this junk that's floating around on, Oh, they're telling this and they're saying that like, no, it's, you know, they, they know about their history and their lore and their symbols and that it's not for you. So, <laughs> Uh, and I mean that again, respectfully. And so this is, this is a subject I don't really want to touch on a lot, but I am going to read this book because I think it's helpful to understand because especially this, this division is, is so seated in the founding of our country, obviously. So understanding this helps me understand how our country functions. Uh, so I find it fascinating again for you. This is not for everyone. And I'm probably not going to even read a lot of this on the air. This is really just for me, but it goes through. Um, it talks about the actual angles. It talks about um, understanding those belief systems and foundings. And um, it's really fascinating. So I, I just wanted to share that again before we jump off. It also goes 1 through 33 uh, from Apprentice, Fellow Craft, Master, Secret master, perfect master, intimate secretary, prost and judge, uh, intendant of the building, elu of the nine, elu of the fifteen, elu of the twelve, master architect, royal ark of Solomon, perfect elu, knight of the east, prince of Jerusalem, knight of the east and west, knight of rose of Croy, pontiff, and then the twentieth degree of Freemasonry is master of the symbolic lodge. Then Noctite of the Prussian Knight. Then Knight of the Royal Axe and Prince of Labanus. Then Chief of the Tabernacle. Then Prince of the Tabernacle. Then Knight of the Brazen Serpent. Then Prince of Mercy. Then Knight Commander of the Temple. Then Knight of the Sun and Prince Adept. Then Scottish Knight of St. Andrew. Then the 30th degree is Knight of Kadash. 31 is Inspector Inquisitor. And 32 is master of the royal secret and it does not have the 33rd in there and i'm assuming that will be uh because if you make it that high up then nobody else needs to know the name there so uh but anyway i found it fascinating this was at um a like i said a, a garage sale and estate sale here in my local hometown and i thought you know these are probably not easy to find. So I'm going to get this and it's a thick book. Like that's going to take me a long time. 
to read. And I certainly don't understand it anyway. But again, it just adding to my wealth of knowledge and trying to understand this crazy reality that we live in and who God is and who we are, who we are. And that Alan Watts quote earlier, just beautiful, beautiful about uh, waking up and recognizing your God. And I love that. Um, Let's see. I had something to read real quick out of Enoch for everyone. That was really good. There I saw the one who had a head of days. And his head was like uh, white like wool. And with him was another being whose countenance had the appearance of a man. And his face was was full of graciousness like one of the holy angels. And I asked the angel who went with me and showed me all of the hidden things concerning the Son of Man, who he was and whence he was and why he went with the head of days. And he answered and said unto me, This is the Son of Man who hath righteousness, with whom dwelleth righteousness, and who reveals all the treasures of that which is hidden, because the Lord of spirits hath chosen him, and whose lot hath uh, preeminence before the Lord of spirits in his uprightness forever. So you want to talk symbolism, go read you some book of Enoch. We're going to, we, I keep reading it at least part of it on every episode in the afternoon, just so we can get through the book. Um, because it's amazing. And we are in, uh, book two, book of the parables, chapter two, right now in the complete book of Enoch standard English version. So, um, I don't pretend to know what that means. Obviously I understand it's talking about the Christ, the son of man. He called himself the son of man, but I'm, I'm a son of a man. You're, you're the son or a daughter of a man somehow, some way. Right. I mean, um, so I find that symbolism. Why did he call himself that all the time? Uh, he said, who do you say I am? I am in the father. The father is in me. And then he said, we will be in him. Like, you know, you have all this symbolism and it's like, and then you have people asking about the literal birth. Like, so I have to be reborn. How am I to go back into my mother's womb? You know? And it's, he's like, no, uh, you're missing the point. Like this is, this is esoteric. This is symbolic. Seek and you will find, Michael says, if all you seek is evil. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so he did not see the uh, true son of the throne. Annie, I don't know. I mean, I wish I, you know, I wish I understood this. That's why I just, I read it with you guys to try to understand. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, he says um, he saw one who had the head of days and his head was like, wool. you know, you hear Christ described like that. Um, and then the angel tells him that, Hey, that was the son of man. So I'm assuming that he did see a vision of the Christ here is what I'm assuming, but I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it, uh, especially if you look in revelation, you know, the, the hair and the beard, like wool and snow and, you know, it's, it's a really interesting but then you also hear that, that Noah was transformed into that type of, we've talked about that before. Um, so really interesting symbolism, just trying to, you know, kind of put it all together, understand the nature of it. And I may never understand it all, but you know, I'm trying, I'm trying. So anyway, I love you guys. I hope you have an awesome, awesome day. Nikki says, uh, son of man, such a good point. Wow. 
Absolutely. Don't forget that guys. And that, that Alan Watts quote I shared this morning, I wish I had it pulled up now, but it's, it's beautiful on waking up to who you really are. Um, go check that out on is time, uh, an illusion. That was a great episode. Sorry about the flashing in and out today. I promise I'm going to get a green screen in here very soon. Uh, but thank you guys for being here and for all the comments. If you haven't already checked out, we've got a brand new membership. We're calling it our team. This is a Cub Cooker Supernatural team. You can see there's a little symbolism. Got people of all different walks of life. Even got a, an, an extraterrestrial there. Uh, that can be Christ, you know, from not from around here. Whatever you you want it to be. I just love making this AI artwork. And so this is our Supernatural team. This guy even looks a little like a Harry Potter kind of thing with the little robe and tie. So I just thought it was really cool. So. Uh, but anyway, we're doing $9 a month. Uh, we're going to do a monthly zoom meeting where we all get to meet together. Uh, then we've got a private content that's going out different video trainings. I'm working on building all of that. So the $9 is kind of a pre-sale until we launch it all, uh, which will happen later this month, um, is the plan. And so once it's all launched, it's going to go up to the normal price, which will be at least 1999, but you can be locked in at nine bucks. That's kind of my version of a Patreon. You can support what I'm doing, and I'm going to give you guys a lot of value out of being a part of more of the inner circle and getting to do more and hear more of the inner messages that are not going out publicly uh, but are going to be just for that community. So you can go check it out if that's something you're interested in. Like I said, right now, you won't find it that cheap again just because the nature of what we're doing. If I had uh, you know, 10 million followers, $9 a month would totally get me where I needed to be. But we're at about a quarter million right now across multiple platforms, which I'm grateful for. But in effect with that, I have to have more more on the premium cost sides uh, to support what we're doing. So another way you can help support is just simply by sharing the content. Get it out there with friends and family. Here's another piece of AI artwork I made. Uh, also, all my AI artwork we put on shirts mugs, um, all kinds of cool stuff over on my website too. Everything's at www.cubkuker.me. You can go grab all of the cool merch over there. I'm one of the few spiritual creators doing merch with all the spiritual stuff on it. So if you guys like that kind of thing, go grab all of that. That helps. Uh, that really helps. That helps me grow what I'm doing here. So uh, Andy says, quit being sorry. Yeah, I know. I need to quit being sorry. I'm sorry. No, um, it's just been a discombobulated couple of weeks. So I'll be, I think once we get through October and I get my feet back under me spiritually and with all this energy going on with the moon and stuff now, um, and uh, like I said, I'm going to take a break this weekend and just totally go off grid, uh, which will be really nice. Um, just unplugging my phone and everything. So, I should come back a lot more recharged and focused and a lot less sorry. So anyway, I love you guys. I hope you have an awesome, awesome afternoon. Um, go love each other. Let your light shine. And he says, yes, it has, uh, but we don't mind glitches and fans. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I am working on rearranging the studio. So hopefully when I get that done, I'll feel a little more grounded too. This is kind of you know, how it was when I moved in. So I've got some ideas on how to make it a little more usable for me to do this every day. So I get to work on some of that this weekend too. So anyway, I love you guys. Have a beautiful day and I'm going to see you tomorrow. Peace.